0: good to be with you all in the house of the Lord. I appreciated the song service very much. It's always a pleasure to come down here and to be with you all and to raise up the songs of praise. I especially like the book ending of the service with joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. And we say these things and we trust in faith that these things are so as it says, that we know that all things are given unto him, and yet we see not all things given unto him. And so I'd like to, if there is uh, ample opportunity this morning, and if the Spirit is so free, to bring some comfort to you in this time and in this hour. At best, we are presently this morning a church divided, separated by being here and being forced to be in our separate homes. In many ways, we are separated from those things which God has used to bless the church from the beginning of time, which is a sad thing. I'd like to start in Isaiah 61, and remember that song that we just sang as I read this passage. It says, in the beginning of Isaiah 61, the first three verses, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up The brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called. Trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. That he might be glorified. Beloved, I'd like you to consider this morning and as you leave this place, the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. That comes from a passage in 2 Corinthians, and I'll go to that in just a moment. But the passage that I just read to you out of Isaiah was really used as the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you were to look in the Gospel of Luke, and I think in other places too, but it's most perfect in the Gospel of Luke, just after Jesus is uh, tempting, he comes into the synagogue and he is called to read the passage for that day. And it happens to be this passage. And he sits down and he says, This day you've heard this fulfilled in your hearing. This day you heard it fulfilled in in your hearing. That's a wonderful and a wonderful thing to hear for them at that time. Now, it was also a difficult thing for them to hear at that time. For in many ways, they knew Jesus. They knew him. They knew him when he grew up. They had likely seen him skin his knee and succeed or fail at his different work things that he did as a young man. They saw him grow in wisdom over the years. But when you see someone when they're small, it's difficult to acknowledge just how much they have grown when they've fully grown. But imagine more so being one of the people who had known him from when he was young, hearing him say that he was the fulfillment of this it was a difficult thing to swallow and yet this would have been a difficult thing for anyone in any age as a matter of fact it is the thing impossible to believe that Jesus Christ truly was the fulfillment of this passage and yet the spirit of the Lord God which here is said to be upon him is the same spirit which delivers this revelation unto us and I am before you this morning is one who trusts that those of you have been that are here this morning have been affected have been um, had your hearts replaced the heart of stone replaced with the heart of flesh that you might understand these things more perfectly. And knowing that, and having that in the back of our minds, why is it that we are still afflicted by the things of this world? Why is it that we can all refer to this year, whether we are the elect or the unelect. This year, 2020, which has been so difficult and seeming so long, and has had many different different things that have divided us aside from just how we are physically divided this morning, divided us among uh, the different reactions to the things that are happening. We have many people who are caught up in fear, even this very day, that they might be next to catch this thing and to die. Or to be caught in a place where they've been alone for a long period of time, and the last thing that's going to happen to them is that they catch this virus, and they die. And they have to consider, every person they see, are they secretly carrying this harbinger of death with them? And as we sympathize both with them, there are many people also who are torn in the other direction, who are afraid, and seeing the powers that be, those powers which God has put over the world, and and in the government that rules over us, are they going to take power that will never go back? And you have these two opposing forces uh, perpetually around you, you never know who you're talking to, and what you're thinking about, and how they're reacting to what's happening. And in both cases, this spirit of fear which is spread across this land has one singular and most perfect answer, and that is the spirit of love. Love, perfect love, casts out all fear, every form of it, and every type. And with that being the case, I would like you to consider as you leave this place, the God of all comfort, who has loved you with such a great love. But this love is in perfect companionship with the elevation of his glory. And so you also are able to be comforted in what it says here at the end. It says, All these wonderful things which are said, that the Spirit of the Lord God was upon Jesus at this moment, as he fulfilled this prophecy, and the purpose of all those things, giving beauty for ashes, and appointing unto them that mourn in Zion, giving them great many other things, including the oil of joy for their mourning, and much more and the purpose was that he might be glorified. Your God is many, many things. Many of them are beyond your imagination, but he breaks these things into parts so small that your tiny person can begin to understand his greatness. And part of his greatness is the perfect mixing of his love for you, the application of his wisdom, and the elevation of his glory, all the while revealing his tender care for each and every one of his own elect. So I'd like you to consider this God of all comfort, but I'd like you also to consider those that come before you. I mentioned 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is a wonderful and a difficult letter to read because it reminds you that in that first generation of the church, they were still rife with every type of trouble. Right? They were still struggling with all the different distractions, temptations and improper things that a church can have. Indeed, if that church existed today we might not necessarily want to take part with them on some things and some things that they've done. And yet, they were the elect of God, they had been sent, Paul, preacher, and they had been sent m- many more helpers to preach to them. And that preacher, one of them, said this unto them Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know you see this every time you open one of these letters, and you may just read past it because you're used to it. They're common words. But remember that this is being said anew, afresh, with the Spirit of God the moment he penned it. And that the Word of God is a living thing. I'll get into that in just a moment more, but we should not run over words like grace be to you. And I would, beloved, this morning, have there be grace unto you, a fresh outpouring of grace, for your times both of need and for the need of those around you. And peace Is there a time we've ever felt more need for peace in these last few decades? Truly, peace is something that seems hard to come by. It seems hard to come across someone who is at peace. And yet we have, free at our disposal, peace that passes understanding. We know the Lord of our salvation is also the Lord of peace. He's called the Prince of Peace. But the way that's being referred to is his governorship over it, how he rules over it. He has complete and utter control over peace controls many other things, not the least of which is the keys to hell itself. But I digress. I'd like to consider that peace that he has, that he shares so freely, not just from Jesus, though, but also from God, our Father whom Jesus always referred to as the source of his ministry, whose work he was always busy doing, busy about doing. So remember, there is no division between Jesus and our beloved Father in heaven. They had one singular mission, which was to save his beloved. And to this very day, that mission is being carried out. But also, to, in this deliverance, give those things which are needful for the day. Now we might want those things that we can have that will hold us over for the year, but he never promised that. He promised us grace for our day. He said, take no thought for the things of tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Consider how diligently he has uh, spread spread abroad a vision of his care for us. How he shows us with the flowers of the field and the birds of the air how beautifully they're clothed. So even your clothing, which we have so much freely accessible to us now, is something he cares about. If he cares about little frivolous seeming things like your clothing, how much more does he care about the difficulties that we're all sharing in in this day? It says again, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, so you see, Paul's emphasis here for this church as he introduces himself is not just of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it seems heavily on our God, the Father, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, making sure you know that these two are so perfectly intertwined, again, that they are not to be separated, but they come one from another in all of their love for us. And it says, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Oh, Beloved. I would that you would be comforted this morning not comforted from those things which you desire to do. I don't want you to be comforted instead of doing those labors which are set before you. I don't want fathers to be comforted instead of or in place of doing their job as fathers, nor likewise with mothers. Or all those tasks which are given to the church in Titus 2 as we uphold and do those things for each other to build up the church as we're called to do. I don't want comfort to be a replacement for our work or for those things which we're called to do. But for these things which seem to be very, for lack of a better word, uncomfortable for the things that are happening in the world and for the different fears that have spread across our land I would that you would be comforted and recognize first and foremost the source of not just a certain type of comfort but all comfort all comfort in variety in every different sort whether it be that he sends us different things and I'll get into that in just a moment or in all power he has power, such power of comfort that you could be in comfort for all of your days And all of humanity could be if he's so elected. He is completely in control of all forms of comfort. And yet it says, Who comforteth us in all our tribulation? Comforteth us in all our tribulation. Again, doesn't necessarily just come to comfort us in our most pleased times, but he comes to us when we are most needful of it. I ask you where you turn for comfort. It is a very important question in these times and days. We are called to take every thought captive. We live in a time of perpetual entertainment and pleasure. The states across the Union are making every type of recreational drug legal at an alarming rate. This is a matter that is an answer to the hearts of the people. Our government has worked that way, and I think many of them are. That the people are beginning to desire comfort. It is it is revelatory to us. We should see this and go, be, be completely unsurprised. It is a natural answer. There's far few places you can go without driving by liquor stores and things like that. But Netflix and chill is the way of life now. Being surrounded perpetually by the music and things you can see and watch and be entertained by is the way of life. And why? Because people still desperately need comfort. But the trouble is trouble is that we have all gone astray all we like sheep have gone astray and so when we don't look to god for the things that god provides we must replace him with something in all the different things he provides in all of his beauty his wisdom his majesty even his justice right which we see a clamoring perpetually for justice when we look for something other than his we must do it wrong but i digress again i would rather concentrate on the comfort that god gives us the comfort that god gives us and the various ways that he gives it to us and it says who comforted us in all our tribulation and why that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble so first i want to talk about you and the comfort that you need in the same order that paul did but also you need comfort so that you might be comforting to others it is always difficult to recognize that it's not all about us Even the most humble person I've ever met has still got this trouble that we all have, we struggle with, which is concentrating chiefly on ourselves. But we must recognize that our gifts are given to us specifically to share them with other people. No money has ever been made in the history of the world without someone serving anyone else. No good thing has ever been done without people serving other people. It is the way of things. It is the design that God put into this world that we should be able to serve and comfort one another. And we are called to be the contrary version of that. To those who would go and concentrate on comforting themselves alone in their basements or in their living rooms, we are called to comfort one another with the like comfort that we've been given. To share forth the glory of God by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And so I'd like to consider the God of all comfort and the different resources that he has perpetually available. I don't have a clock, so if I go over, please let me know. But first, I've mentioned this before, and it does not tire me to say this again and again and again. We have been given one of the greatest gifts in all of history, and it is right here available to you, the name of God. One of the most significant moments that ever happened was when God said to Moses, I am that I am. He could have gone through all of history and never revealed this piece of information about himself. And we would all have been less for the lack of knowledge. But we know that he is the I am that he is more present in any moment than your imagination has the capacity to handle he is more aware of what's happening in the world and more ready and more acting on it than you can possibly consider it's a wonderful thing to lean into because if you know that God is right and just and good then the fact that he is so present in the world and not asleep he does not slumber then you should be comforted in the fact that he is the I am what a wonderful thing and what a wonderful comfort But not just that, there are those who have suggested he slumbers. In Psalms ten, there is a reference that is a prayer that I wonder if we pray even to this day. If we wonder if we recognize and cry out to God the way the psalmist does. In Psalm ten it says, He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Arise, O God. Arise, O God. Psalms teach us in many things, but not the least of which is how to pray, how to praise, how to communicate with God, and also how to hear, to hear the things that God is saying. And one of the things he makes very clear here is that it is our job to cry out to him if it seems that those would accuse God of sleeping. Does he sleep? Remember that tale from the Old Testament when they were uh, talking about when Elijah was dealing with the uh, false prophets? And he he calls me and he says, what, is your God sleeping? Well, the same accusation has been put in both directions since the dawn of time. The false gods that men have raised up have been rightly accused of sleeping because they can't do anything else. But the great I am, there are many who act as though he is asleep, he is slumbering. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. Wherefore dost the wicked contemn God? He has said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite, to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself to thee, thou art the helper of the fatherless. They have said in their hearts that God will not... Cause other, cause people to reap what they sow. Now, if you still remember that time before you knew God, you know that there were times when you felt the same way. That what you do doesn't have a consequence unless you feel it right now. But God, the Bible says, is not mocked. We reap what we sow. But more than that, it says, Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest. Mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. God is fully aware, not just as a general abstract idea, but of the specific happenings of the deeds of men and also of the inward workings of the hearts of men. He knows everything. And he knows it in a present and aware sense. He's an abstract idea. He is not the universe just generally soaking things in. The universe is his handiwork. He's so much further above it that if he were to crush it, it would be little more than the potter destroyed one of their pots. He is so much more, and so he is always aware, and he is always aware of what's happening in the individual lives of men. So we see and think sometimes that some people are doing wrong and it might seem like they're going to get away with it. It might seem like they are right to say that God is sleeping and not paying attention. Nay, beloved, God forbid. We trust in a just and a righteous God who is aware of all things that are happening. But he isn't just aware and he isn't just just. He is also the God of power. Now, I say that about the universe almost in a passing saying, as though I have some imagination that can grasp the fullness of the creation. And we should be hesitant and reticent to step into such waters so lightly. But God reveals himself as being powerful, not just in the large, but in the small, being very precise with his power. There is a story that happened in 2 Samuel of a thing that David did. David got himself in trouble for directly disobeying the law of God, numbering the people, including the Levites, which specifically is told not to do in the Bible, but David himself was told not to do these things. And he received a curse for it. And here it says in 2 Samuel, this is in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24. It says, For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go, and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So David came to, so Gad came to David, and told him, and said to him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies, while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days pestilence in the land? Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hand of men. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel. What's happening here is David has to choose wisely of very difficult choices. Either he's going to be ruined for three months and many of his soldiers will be killed and they'll be chased by their enemies. They'll spend years in famine, which will hurt the people and certainly uh, weaken their country deeply and cause many deaths or be three days in a pestilence. The three days in a pestilence does might seem like a break, right? We've spent eight months with a, a bug bothering and killing our people, right? And all, truly all of the West. But this was not that kind of pestilence. This is the kind of pestilence that three days is going to be a very, very long time. It says, So the Lord sent this pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. And there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men. 70,000. Now he just numbered them and I don't remember off the top of my head, but I don't believe the population was greater than that of New Jersey, for example. And if that many people had suddenly died in New Jersey, it would be world-stopping news. Everything about our country would be completely up in arms. And you, you think things are extreme and scary and difficult now. This would change everything. Your life would be different. It would be the mark by which you define lives. You would for generations be saying, where were you when that happened? It is horrible if you were, of course, to survive it. And yet here it says, And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Arona, the Jebusite. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go, we were up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor. The power God had over this pestilence was so precise that he said exactly where it would and would not go. But not just that. While we recognize and fear the power of God, because to know him is to fear him, and if you don't fear him, it's just because you don't know him. He is so frightfully powerful and so eminently wise that we should shudder to even pray to him. It should be a frightful thing and a considerate thing to do. and should not be taken on lightly. And yet, he is precise and powerful, but see here, he is Merciful. is merciful even when there was a right and deserved judgment upon this people he stopped and was merciful and I say this not to apply particularly to the current virus because I have no idea of the source and no one has revealed that this is something that God has specifically sent and if they do I would certainly take a different tact no one has revealed that it is not and so I do not know and I'm not a man of great mysteries so I can't get into that subject but what I can say is that God has full authority and power over this and over everything And also, you should be comforted. Because if the one who has all power, if he was evil, he would still be God. But our God is just, our God is good. And if he was just those two things, that would be enough. But he is merciful. Merciful every day unto us in new ways. What a wonderful and a hopeful thing. And indeed, he is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. I said that a moment ago for one thing, but we should recognize that God's judgment is severe here, even in this story. How frightful the thing it is. What he says to do, though, what he says to do about these things, about these cares and concerns we have, is very clear. So we see how powerful he is. We see how frightful he is. We also see how merciful he is. And so we know how real it is when he says, to cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Cast thy burdens upon the Lord. So this God who has all power, who knows all the inner workings of men, tells you, reaches down to little old me and little old you, and says to cast your cares upon him. Because he cares for us. With all this power, with all this might, with all this land and dominion, he has full and complete control over He still is concerned and cares for our comforts. And one of the chief methods and resources we have for... Being comfortable is to cast our cares upon him. Beloved, it is so tempting to let our cares go away the ancient way of the mystics, to try and ignore them away through meditation and hope that they disappear, only to find them returning, said with seven times the power not too long after. It is tempting to drink away our troubles as there's been an epidemic throughout human history and specifically in American history, to not feel those cares for a short time and to use all the different toys and tricks that we have you hear it happen all the time in the world. I just had to go and, you know, uh, I, you know, get some things off my mind for a little while. But the number one way you have to get things off of your mind is to take them to the power, to all power, and to all mercy, and to all justice, and to cast those things there that they might be rightly dealt with. But we're afraid, aren't we? We're afraid because sometimes we feel like we cause our own fears. <laughs> Sometimes we feel like we've been too far from him for too long. The New England Primer says that, it has this, this old poem, says, praying will have you leave off sinning, or sinning will have you leave off praying. And so the further time you have with this gap between you and God, the more difficult it seems to be able to cast our cares upon him. It seems a foreign thing. It seems wrong. I created these cares. Why should he have to bear them? Why would he want to? It's very embarrassing. Why, what if he exposes my cares as false? What if I've been doing this just as an axe to myself? And a myriad other thoughts that can run through our mind to distract us. Remember, the enemy is very, very good at discouragement. He, it is something of a superpower of his. He has been able to discourage the saints from time immemorial. His desire has been war on God from the beginning. He started by attacking the animal kingdom, going after the wisest of them with the serpents. And then he came after Adam and Eve. And then he came after Jesus with hopes of securing war truly on the Father. But the Father and the Son both are not to be divided. And we should take comfort in that. But we should know that that enemy still exists. That he goes about like a roaring lion seeking who he might devour. And how does he do this? but by consuming us from within, by convincing us that we have no right to God, that we are the ones, we are the reason why he was nailed to the cross, which is true. He's not wrong. But God is merciful and just and good and has drawn us to him that he might give us comfort, little, insignificant, us. The world teaches that we are insignificant, accidental specks on a small globe of dirt floating through nothingness, that you have no purpose in life, that you are without reason. But God, the creator of every one of those specks, has reached out to you and said, cast your burdens upon him because he cares for you. What a wonderful and a hopeful thing. He also cares when you suffer. If you remember when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, they wandered and they suffered. That was a very, very difficult time. Can you imagine wandering so much that it has to be pointed out that your shoes don't wear down? Right? Imagine the difficulty on the body and the mind. But imagine also having to eat only one food. And I don't care what your favorite food is. I don't care what your favorite topping is. If you have to eat only that for a few weeks, you're going to get very, very tired of it. But if you were only given one food throughout 40 years, beloved, 40 years, I'm not even that old yet. Right? That's a long, long time. God sent them to do that on purpose. He made them eat one food for 40 years. And he did it in such a way that reminded them always that he was present. Because it came, and then it came double-fold on the day before the Sabbath, and then it didn't come at all on the Sabbath. As a perpetual reminder, in any weather, in any season, that he was still there, still providing, still in complete control, and still making them eat it. It said in Deuteronomy, it says, referring to that exact thing, it says, he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, Why? That he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Man does not live by the things that entertain us and comfort us. Man is comforted by God alone. Man does not live by any of the things that you eat. Those things are a semblance of what God provides. But consider the way that you eat and the infinite variety of the food that he gives you. This is very similar to the way that he feeds you spiritually. It could have been that the world was designed so that one single thing pops out of the ground about the shape of a pill that pops out of a bud with some regularity and it's harvested and we don't have the sweet pleasure of eating and taste. And yet he designed the world in such a way that the best form of nutrition to gain is from variety. The best form of flavor is from variety. And the perfect amalgamation of all the peoples of the earth might be found if not first in the church, then second in your food. Right? Think about it. Everything you eat comes from all over the globe and all the different cooking styles and methods all for the single purpose of providing this thing for us. This is only supposed to be pointing us to one thing the word of God right? The way that we are fed comes from singly singularly him alone because man does not live by bread only but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live so if you're only reading the same single thing then you are forcing yourself to eat only frosted flakes every day forever right? It's a pretty difficult thing, if you ask me, as good as I think they are. That was my answer when I was in second grade, by the way, if you could only eat one food for real. Time. But God knows us, and he knows what we suffer from. Not just the word of God should be learned from this passage, but you should know that God knows exactly what you are suffering with and through. And there are times, and one might say it's all times, when, he, when we are there on purpose for the single purpose of our eternal good our best good for he is our father he loves us and he is concentrated on your best end now we even the best of us don't see Anything near what he sees about the future. Some who are wise are able to plan in such ways that they are, their lives are more profitable generally. That the comforts that they create for themselves are able to comfort others more generally. And some, as it says in the Bible, uh, like the fool, consume all that they have and have nothing for tomorrow. But God cares not just for the things of tomorrow. Right? God has a plan that goes from all of eternity into all of eternity. His wisdom and his concern for us is so much greater than ours. And so while in the moment of, of labor in the delivery room, you might be full of pain and agony, you know full well that there is something greater coming. How much more does he know if he's going to force you to go through any form of suffering in this life? How much more does he have planned for us than just the most wonderful joy of a new child coming into the world? His care for us is so deep that when we suffer, he suffers with us. He suffers with us. He's given us all these things. He's given us suffering. He's given us care. He's given us himself. But he's also given us, and this is a very difficult one right now, the church. He's given us the church. When we were up at Southampton uh, last week, I was preaching from the beginning of the Gospel of John, and I got to see that time when John the Baptist spoke and said, Behold the Lamb of God. He said it for the second time in the hearing of these two people. Uh, One was certainly Andrew, and one may have been even John the Evangelist, the author of the Gospel of John. But that's not concrete because he tends to hide himself and doesn't reveal who that is. But here you have this time when the church, as we know it, is first revealed. They first go and follow him. The first time someone goes and follows Jesus. And to this very day, this is the tie that binds all of us, that we follow Jesus. And John would say in, in his first letter, that by this do we know that we are in him and that we love him, that we obey his commandments, right? This is the thing that ties us all together, is that we seek to obey those things that he said. But we don't just have that, we have each other. We have many songs that sing about it. How often I've heard um, your thoughts and fears, how often we've shared with uh, past flowing tears, that's not the actual song, but these things are what's said in these songs, where we have the opportunity to cast our burdens on him by casting them on one another. Now, beloved, the easiest thing to do when we are sharing prayer requests is to share prayer requests of a near neighbor. The hardest thing to do is to share your own. And maybe this isn't the right forum all the time to do that, but you have to have someone that you are laying your cares upon, some people that you love, that you can trust to pray for you and to listen and to comfort you in the way that our Father does. Does anyone listen the way that our Father does? You consider that. If he is so present and he hears all things, he is perpetually listening. And everybody seems to want someone to listen to them, right? But he has also given us each other to fill that role. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if those who have given even a small cup of water to these little ones has done it unto me. See, it's easy to forget in the combined um, complications and dramas that can come when you have a number of people together, but also in the sweet pleasure of knowing each other's characters and persons and lives and histories, right? I've been coming to this this church since before i was married and so when we get together it's i, I take a great pleasure in sharing our, our family as we've grown with all of you but there is more than just these things happening right one of the reasons i love to come down is for the opportunity to encourage to be a part of the sharing of the word but i hope that we all see this as exactly that that we are called to come together to be comforted and then with that comfort to comfort each other We are like those lively stones that are in a fire, that when they are all together, the flame is bright and warm and comforting and can cook food and provide many other things, which a few of you are very good at, right? We are here to provide for each other, but in so doing, we are given the strength, given the comfort to do that. This world is going through a dearth of uh, gladness. The sadness that is overtaking all of our our people, our country, is overwhelming. The more people you talk to, the more you can tell that there is just sadness filling them. Beloved, we are called to bring good things to each other, namely comfort, and that God comforts you so that you can do it. So if you are not comforting others, don't be surprised if God is giving that comfort to those who are doing it. We aren't just giving comfort for ourselves. We're giving it because we are the church. We are the pillar and ground of the truth in the world. We have the opportunity to do something we have no right to. To glorify God in the earth. By revealing his word and by loving one another. And by being full of duty and goodness the way that he is. Remember, God never, ever doesn't do his duty. Never, ever doesn't do his job and take care of us. But it's not just that. He does it in such a way that is beautiful. So as you consider your work, remember, you are supported by him who created the sunrise. And when you get out there in the morning and you enjoy a beautiful sunrise and you sit back and you go wow that is amazing I've never seen a sunrise like that because that's truly the case every day they're similar but they're never the same and you go wow this is a reminder that God's mercies are new every morning that he's doing it again he did it again today and then the thought might hit you that that sunrise never stops it just moves around the globe as it's created every moment perpetually in the same way that his mercies are ever being provided, although you might not see them at this moment. In the same way that his comforts are ever being delivered. In the same way that he gives sunshine to the just and the unjust. In the same way that he gives rain to the just and the unjust. In the same way he continues to give the increase to all of our plants that feed either ourselves or our food. Right? That we continue to be blessed by his unending, ongoing duty. And I encourage you to remember that you have a part to play in that. That he upholds and strengthens you that you might comfort one another as a church. Comforting with many things. Your witness. The things that have happened to you in your life. And the way that God is presently working on you and with you. And this isn't always good news. We're not called to only say the best things about our lives. That is a cultural thing that we can get, accidentally latch hold onto. We're called to share everything. Every tribulation. That we might comfort one another and that we might be comforted. We are called to share these things in the name of God. That we might be blessed by those things that we are called to be blessed by. Here it says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill, fulfill the law of Christ. Now, it's interesting wording, because if you remember the law of God, some people think, is gone, is dead, that Jesus upended it. But Jesus said something that was not quite the opposite, but that was absolutely not in line with that. He said, you think you ca- I come to destroy the law? <laughs> I come to fulfill the law. Fulfill the law. That thing that none of you could do, that none of us could do, that no man from the dawn of time has been able to do save one. Save one. Now, the purpose of the law, I don't want to get too much into right now, but you hear that Jesus came to fulfill that law and then gave a new law. And you, here, have the opportunity in one simple thing to fulfill his law, he who fulfilled that law, thus completing both the Old and the New Testament in one action. And that is this, that you bear one another's burdens. What a wonderful thing. That we are called to be able to give comfort one to another. Now, right now is a time for originality in the church. Many people you can't reach. Many people who are separated from you. There are obvious and easy inroads. But what else can you do? Believers, historically, have been original with their charity. And I would encourage you to be the same. I would encourage you to seek God for opportunities and ways to serve those who seem unservable right now. My heart burned within me when I heard about Susan... This morning, hearing her uh, being caught up in despair, and Susan is the type of person who freely shares exactly what she's going through. I love that about her. She's an example to all of you. We should all be freely sharing those things, that we might be unburdened, that we might freely be able to then go and serve others, trusting in God and those that God has sent into our lives to continue to um, take care of our things so that we can freely then give and give to others. For he takes care of our stuff, right? by us caring for others right it's an amazing and a wonderful thing but it my heart burns within me to hear that and to wonder how many more are unable to say just how hard this is just how difficult and scary it is just how frightful it is to either be separated or to see there are many who are full of fear that are like i said that their government is changing in such a way that will never go back it's an understandable and relatable fear It's the kind of thing that we should be praying for one another on. And praying to the God to whom it says the government is on his shoulders. That is his burden, his problem. And he will take care of it. Bear one another's burdens. It says in that passage also uh, two other interesting things. One, it says we must bear our own burdens. And Jesus says that very clearly. So while I'm stressing that you should be comforted in having this church here to uh, take care of you, you're also called by Jesus specifically to carry your cross, to put on your cross every single day. And you can't comfort others if you aren't doing your own job first. But where you're unable to, lean on those around you. But again, it says, not just bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It says, for if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Again, the Bible makes very clear that we should concentrate on what we can do, not what we think we are. See here, it's not a good thing to think only of oneself. If a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. There will be times and seasons when you will be able to comfort many. That is a very, very dangerous time. Because one of the great enemies is the pride of life. the pride of life. And that will undermine everything that we could possibly do to comfort one another, to fulfill the law of God and to get to take in hand to do the same comforting that the God of all comfort gives and to in so doing to glorify God in his name. The great purpose of all things is to glorify God. I mentioned that sunrise. What's the greatest thing it does? It glorifies God. It's what the sky does. It's what all the beautiful things both in creation do and also in action. That What we are all able to do, the best thing we can do is to glorify him. And it's a one Thing that was impossible without the work of Jesus Christ and the Father sending him and the Father calling us to him. And in so doing, he sent us the Holy Ghost. We talk about comfort a lot and Jesus left, right? We have to remember that. He came and then he left. And there can be times when you think about that and you say, but but Why? He was then immortal. He could have stayed. Why did he go? He could have ruled the world right now. We could have been able to take a pilgrimage to go and see him. With the internet, we could have all seen him regularly talking and taking part in it. We could have gone to be healed. Wouldn't the world be better if he was here? These are reasonable and understandable imaginations, unless you're reading the Bible, right? Unless you've had this situation explained to you, and you understand why he's not. The first thing he said is that, He left. He was going to leave because he went to prepare a place for us. Be comforted, beloved, that this is not it, and that he is presently preparing a place for us. Now, I don't know what is entailed by all the power of Jesus being used in a place without sin that takes this amount of time to prepare. It's got to be fantastic. I mean, truly, think about it. He who spoke creation into being is presently preparing something. Beyond your imagination, we do not know yet what we will be, right? But what we know is that we will be made like him. It's something that you have to be made into a better being in order to even enjoy. Your senses and your person is so clouded and broken and decrepit, you couldn't even enjoy the things that are being set apart for you. How much does he love us? How much comfort is he ready to prepare for us? So be comforted now and that he's doing that. But he did leave us. He didn't leave us comfortless. It says in John 14, in answer to Philip asking for Jesus to show him the Father, which is a good thing, which is a right thing, which is the thing I hope you all desire. It is the thing which is called for us to do all throughout the Old Testament, that we should seek his face. Beloved, if there's one thing you put on your bucket list of things to do in your life, put seek his face. There is nothing but benefit to be gained, but it is. Frightful! If I've made any kind of a case for you this morning that God is powerful and dangerous and good and to be glorified and that you are unworthy to be in his presence naturally as you, were, as you were before God worked on you, then you should have some right understanding of why people would avoid seeking his face. But seek his face, beloved. And so Philip here asks, can I see the Father? But Jesus here is a little disappointed by the question. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long with you? Yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? again, I I mentioned this, and I I did this a few times already, because, and this isn't even close to how intertwined they are, right? That the Father and the Son are so perfectly intertwined that you see the Father through the Son. To reveal God the Father is, is the thing that Jesus came to do. Everything he said. Jesus is the glory of the Father. What a wonderful thing, and what a comfort that the God who you were naturally separated from has come and been revealed unto you through Jesus. But it's a thing that's easy to forget. But he says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words I speak unto you I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So it's not just the words Jesus spoke, but even the good works he did. It was the Father doing it the entire time. Verily, verily, truly, beloved, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father." And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Now you know that the Holy Spirit is called comforter, right? But he's not just called a comforter, he's called another comforter. So you could say that one of the names of Jesus not explicitly revealed is Comforter. And that, that means that if Jesus, all the work that he did and everything he did was in the Father, that another name for the Father is Comforter. The Comforter. The God of all comfort. The source of all of your comfort. Who, when Jesus knew that the only best right thing for you was that he should leave and be not on this earth with us now, that he would send another comforter what a wonderful thing we don't have the ability to understand the uh, economy of god is there a cost when he heals we don't know uh, what type of work he does he is so far above us it's almost impossible It seems like everything he does just happens like it's easy our imagination can't consider what it takes to create the world to hold it together with forces like gravity to do all the things he does but i think it's not insignificant that he sent his spirit to dwell with us He gave us another comforter. And why? That he may abide with you. Is it for a season? Is it so that for the time when things are good, when things are comfortable? Is it only for the moments when things are difficult? Is it only for when you need it while you're serving others? Or when you need to speak the word? No. No, beloved. It says that he may abide with you forever. Forever. What a comfort. Even the spirit of truth. Truth. So you see, part of this comfort is truth. One thing that is very discomforting is not knowing what's going to happen. The scariest thing about the bug we've all been struggling with is the fact that no one really has been able to hammer it down. We've had a lot of trouble explaining exactly how it's traveling from place to place, and we've tried different things. And it's, it's very scary that the smartest among us are still confused by this thing, which seems like it should be fairly simple. right? It's very scary to realize that people don't necessarily have the truth on just that. Now imagine living in a world of lies and not knowing who you trust at different times and places. But to be given the spirit of truth as your comfort is a comfort deeper, I think, than we've taken the time to imagine. That truly we are comforted not just by a general abstract feeling of comfort, but by a sincere grounding in the truth, the one and only truth. Which the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. And in some ways, beloved, it is, I think, not wrong to be sad to hear that. Although we know that, as the Psalms express, uh, it is, there is a right crying out for justice, that we should uh, see that the wicked be properly punished. And yet, knowing what we have, knowing what we have, that we have this comfort, that we have this spirit of truth... It does make me sad to read that. To know that there are so many who will not know him. But, alas, it says, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and, not just he dwelleth in you, with you now. Again, he repeats this point. And shall be in you. For the God of all comfort has not just sent you comforts in the abstract. Has not just sent you things that are comfortable. But has sent you a comforter that will dwell not just alongside you, but in you so fully close to you that you cannot be separated from him. I will not leave you comfortless, he says again. I will not leave you comfortless. So you see that God and the Son and the Spirit have worked together with in mind, it seems like at all times, your comfort. And would you stay far from him? Would you cast aside this open door of comfort? Would you forget the God of all comforts? It says here, I will come to you. And Jesus says these things that we hold to even to this day. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. It's not just a matter of your temporal comfort. It's a matter of your life, of life. That Jesus comes not just to give life for the moment, but to give life eternally. Not just to give life exactly what you need, but life and life abundantly. Life so full, you can't handle it. Life so long and so eternal, that it's more than you can bear. Life so full that your body needs to be remade to fully appreciate it. That you have a form of, even now, even at this moment. And he says, Because I live, ye shall live also. At that day, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Beloved, sometimes it feels like he is far away. But he doesn't say here, at that day, ye shall be in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. No, he says, at that day, ye shall know. Implying two very important things. The first is that that is the case presently. Presently. That God, Jesus, is in the Father, the Father is in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in you, and you are intertwined in in so permanent a way that it is uh, unfathomable, and yet it is there, it is real, and God is in you to this very day. But, it says... First, that that is the case right now, but also that you shall finally fully know it, which implies that right now you don't. That you easily forget that you have the same type of relationship with the Father through the Son and through the Spirit that Jesus had with the Father when God was through him doing all these great works. When he was then going and obeying the law and doing good works and glorifying his Father on the earth and then eventually dying and being raised up from the dead. All through the power of the Father. And that you are exactly as intertwined with him now at this very moment, which shall be eventually revealed more fully. I think that we are going to have, for a fleeting moment, maybe a touch of regret of how little we appreciated the moment that we live in now. Mm -hmm. How little we appreciate just how immersed we are already in the Father. How easily. We, are like sheep, continue to go astray. How regularly he has to go and just bring us on back again and again and again. But at a time like this, when we are so desperately in need of comfort, and not just us, but all those around us, I beg you, I implore you, please reach out and consider this. And remember that right now it's going to be very easy to forget, but there will come a day when you will know so fully and so completely that you are in the Father, that you will have no doubts, and you will not ever not use all of your resources to his ongoing and perpetual glory. But again, That day is not yet, but it comes. It says that he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father. I will love him and will manifest myself to him. That is a very complicated statement. But there's many places in the Bible where it's mirrored. I'd like to just remind you of what it said. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Here, Jesus is talking, and this is not someone talking about him, but it's he himself talking. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, this is a strange thing coming right after him saying that he's already in you. This almost feels like he's now giving some stipulation and some rule, but it's quite the opposite, beloved. It's saying that this is how you know and how you are, again, to be comforted in God the Father, that you have his commandments. That doesn't mean that there's no sinning. It says that he that saith he sin not uh, is a liar. But it says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so our pursuit of righteousness and goodness is not contrary to the Word. Our pursuit of understanding Jesus' words and applying them in our lives is not contrary to the Word. It's the opposite. It is a comfort to us and it is an opportunity for us to continue to glorify God in a way that was impossible by our own power impossible in any way and so why shouldn't we run why should we cast aside every burden but there is a method to casting aside our burdens right there's a way that we're supposed to do it we are again not supposed to do it as the eastern religions and just imagine them disappearing into the ether and imagine ourselves uh, overpowering things by our own will we are called to be weak to cast our burdens upon god to cast our burdens upon one another, that the God of all comfort might comfort you with the comforts wherewith we have all been comforted, that you might then go and turn and comfort others with these comforts as they've been delivered to you, that you might, again, be able to glorify God in the earth, not by going out and standing up as some shining angel on top of a building. If God wanted to glorify himself that way, he would have. He is elected to do it, which by things that seem to us to be the foolish things, but God has revealed the greater wisdom is the good things done in secret, which he does far more often than he does the great things that we've seen. He is elected to bring those comforters, which is namely you, to those who are in need. He is, na- he is elected to send comfort to his beloved, which is namely you, through his word, through his person, through his power, through his justice, and through his church. Thank you for your good attention.